Welcome to Truthiverse, the number one podcast for free and discerning minds. I'm your host, Brendan Murphy, author and founder of The Truthiversity. As a freedom hacker and truth addict, it's my job to help you reclaim yourself from illusion and live in your power. Living in truth sets you free to holistically upgrade your entire life so you can explore infinite possibility. Join me as we hack our way to a higher evolution. Hey and welcome. Truth of Us is an audience-supported podcast and an audience-supported Substack as well. You can find me over there on Substack at official Brendan Murphy. And if you enjoy this work, please join the growing body of consciously evolving minds and voyage with us into forgotten and forbidden realms of knowledge. So do hit that like button, share with your fellow seekers, and if you haven't yet, please do consider becoming a paid subscriber, whether it's over on my Substack or through buying me a coffee right here via the podcast. Also, feel free to check out my private evolutionary accelerator, Evolve Yourself, over at evolveyourself.live for the free masterclass. And of course, I do invite you to join me inside the members-only Truthiversity for all premium content, including part two of every podcast. See truthiversity.com for more information. Researching, writing, and podcasting is what I do full-time, so thanks in advance for your support. It does mean a lot to me. All right, ladies and gents, welcome to this episode of Truthiverse. I'm your host, and I have the pleasure of being joined this week by David Whitehead, the man himself. And he is, uh, in case you're not already familiar with his work, he is a podcaster, he's a filmmaker, he is the co-host of Unslaved Podcast, known as the Truth Warrior also, and uh, doing a lot of interesting research. Specifically, I wanted to get David on to talk about the occult history of royal families and also secret societies and any other interesting related tangents around that. Uh, So without further ado, David, uh, let's dive in, mate. Um, Firstly, maybe, you know, for those who don't know you super well, um, how did you get into this kind of, you know, what drew your interest into this line of work and research? Well, yeah, it's a good one. And thanks for having me back, Brennan. Always good to be with you. Um, and yeah, this is a big one. There's so many different tangents to go into on this subject. Uh, for me, I was just curious. I think it started when I realized that so much of what we're told needs to be reevaluated, that we're sort of pigeonholed into only listening to what we're told at school or through the media or through the, you know, your Sunday school or your parents, you know, and those are where you form your influences that shape your worldview and shape your, shape your perception. And when I realized that there's a, not all of it, but there's a lot of that, that is now definitely in, in, in question, right? It was, we see world events unfolding. We see the rise of more tyranny happening. We see corruption going on in every institution that you take the time to actually look at. And for me, it was just getting that question out of the way, you know, well, first of all, where are we, what's going on and who really runs this place and what's the real agenda? Like, what is there, is there controlling hands behind political events? Is this a new phenomenon? How far back does this go? And I, so this is what I tackle on my podcast It's called truth warrior. And it's also some of these questions that we work on the unslaved podcast, which we've had you on many times. And uh, I do that research with Michael, who's um, just a guiding light in this research. He's been doing this for many years. And so I interview a lot of different voices, a lot of different minds, trying to get different takes on it and trying to see if it's if this is just some kind of boring history lesson on some old snobby royals or some secret orders, or is this relevant? Is it are these uh, groups at the top, you know, behind our politicians, behind our big institutions, behind some of these mega corporations? behind the military industrial complex or the medical industrial complex or all these things that people are now starting to become familiar with. Is there something much bigger behind all of that, that you can only really see if you start putting a lot of different puzzle pieces together rather than look at all these different things happening in isolation. It does, uh, for me, it was helpful to start comparing notes and trying to look at the big picture. So that's really what I'm all about. And I've made a film series kind of on this subject, but really focusing on the medical tyranny, uh, what we saw with the lockdowns and the pandemic. And I called this series Cult of the Medics, and people can get it for free at cultofmedics.com. I'm 10 chapters in of 12 that I plan to do. So I'm already almost done. I just released chapter 10. And it's uh, very apropos to what we're talking about, Brennan. It's called The Overseers. And at chapter 10, you know, I've kind of gone through one to 10 of just all the basics of all the research I've gleaned into these conspiratorial or alternative subjects. Um, And then also now getting to the point where we're saying, okay, who's really running this? What's the real agenda? And I'm not saying I got all the answers, but I, what I do in that series is kind of give a few different options based on the same data that we can all look at 
And I just throw a few theories at people and go, Hey, what do you think? You know, what do you think is really behind the scenes? And um, so, yeah, that's, that's where my research led me. And it was really very unexpected. It was just, you start pulling on one thread and then you get another one and you just keep going. And I've, I followed my curiosity and I followed my, my intuition, I guess. And I hope that I've come across the right information. So that's where I sit. Oh, and I think you're muted there, Brennan. Excuse me. I forgot to unmute. Uh, it's funny you, you said you got, you know, it was sort of like unplanned or, or took you by surprise somewhat, um, which struck me as kind of odd in a way because I know you've been, you know, in this world for, you know, quite a while and, and you know, kind of like had, you know, Michael Tazarian as your, I don't know, mentor or, or whatever you want to refer to him as, you know, the, the guy who's very, very experienced in this realm. Um, so did you, was this in terms of, you know, what you just outlined, was that what you said it was unexpected or unplanned? So, you know, where were you at before you took that turn in that direction? Like, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. No, I know what you mean. I guess the reason I say it's unplanned is because so much of this was just organic. It was, it was like, I was reading a book that I found in a used bookstore years ago. Um, you know, one book that pops to mind would be something like the gods of Eden by William Bramley, you know, one of those old school books, or you pull out some book on nine 11, or, you know, you, you just, you get little bits of it and it, what it does is pique your curiosity. So then you dive deeper and then you get passionate about it and you want to talk about it. And then it turned into me doing little interviews on my YouTube channel back in the day. I just record on Skype and release interviews. I came across Michael. Uh, I probably came across his work in about 2007, 2008. And then I got in contact with him and we started emailing each other back and forth on a few things. And then eventually I had him on my show probably back in 09. And then I realized the depth of his research. And what I liked about working with him was it wasn't just about his singular opinion. He was just like a walking encyclopedia of names I'd never heard of, of books I'd never heard of, of subjects I'd never heard of. And I was just like, what, 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 what's this about ancient Druids and all what's going on? So I, uh, I wanted to learn more. And so I just went on an organic curiosity path of my own, decided to share it through my show. So I guess I planned things along the way, but this whole, where I'm at, came across, came together so organically that I guess that's why I said in planet. But when you ask like the influence of these people on me, it was the influence of seeing some of the predictions that they had laid out or some of the themes that they were communicating, the research that they had that at first glance, you look at it, you go, okay, interesting. I don't know enough to refute it or, or say that it's true. And so you put it on the back burner. And then you go along with your life and maybe some experiences start to happen. And then you find some other information and then you see world events unfolding and you start looking at symbolism and ancient religion and you get into these bigger subjects and you find yourself going, okay, there's, there's something to what I heard those years ago. And so I got to keep looking. My intuition was to keep looking, keep searching. And so where I was before I got to the point where I'm at now, which is, you know, the particular worldview I've developed was I didn't know what was going on. I just knew that we can't accept everything we're told on face value. And I also, you know, my parents raised me as a Christian. And so they there was always the concept of morality and good and evil and the idea that there was the presence of evil, name it what you want, call it what you want, define it how you want, but that there was a presence of evil on this planet that a lot of people would prefer to not even discuss or even entertain as being real that was sort of ingrained as a youngster. And then I didn't quite take the religious version of it and the, the hardcore Christian version of it personally, but I never forgot those lessons and I always found value in it. And so I just continued and then fleshed out and went, oh yeah, no, well, there's, a, there's something to that. There is what you could call evil or corruption or criminality, whatever word people like. And I guess for me, it was always about, well, just how deep does it go and how prevalent is it? And are, is this, is this energy, is this, uh, exp this dark side of the human spirit, is it present at the top of our institutions? Are, um, are we dealing with that when it comes to the agenda for the world, the agenda for our countries, the agenda for humanity? We're at that point now where we're looking at, you know, what do they want with us? What are they trying to do with us with all this transhumanism and everything? And so what, I guess it's been quite the journey where it, 
I didn't have, I definitely didn't have the knowledge that I have now, but I always had the same questions that I think is what kicked me off was asking the questions that didn't seem obvious to answer. And that's what I do in my film series is I start the series off with the exact questions I had that led me to where I'm at. And I'm asking that to the audience. And sometimes you get more out of asking a really intelligent question that makes somebody stop and think like it's so those, these are the questions that like snap you out of a, a haze and go, Oh yeah. Interesting questions. Like what is a cult? Do ancient cults exist? Do, do, do cults uh, have anything to do with what goes on behind the scenes of our polit- political world or the corporate world? You know, is there another layer to this reality? Um, what is the nature of reality? And it just keeps going. And those questions are what drive me. Um, I don't pretend to have all the answers, but I think we're getting closer. That's for sure. Yeah, right. Do you feel like um, your search has been motivated by the metaphysical side of it? Like, you know, searching for a purpose? What are we doing here? Why are we here? What am I here for? What's my role? And this kind of stuff. Yeah, that's the that was the starter for me. That that Those would be the first ones. The philosophical questions that I think every every human being has, it's part of the kit. It's it's about whether or not we want to keep seeking the answers to those questions, I think that changes. A lot of people just go, well, we don't know, so just party on and hopefully it all goes well, right? But for me, that wasn't enough. For me, it was like, no, I want to know what what does it mean to be human? What am I? As, as, a, as a person living, what is, what is this body? What's I've seen you know living people, I've, I've been to plenty of funerals, I've seen people that aren't living, I'm like, what's the difference between the two? Where do we go? And then that drives you into the questions of philosophy and religion and science as well. You're trying to look at it all and go, where's the answers to these? What's the human condition all about? Why is it so incredibly hard and difficult? And there's so much brutality and darkness and tyranny and evil and criminality, but there's also love and there's also amazing art and there's beauty. And there's a there's an incredibly powerful side to the human experience as well that it's hard to see sometimes. You can get lost down the black-pilled rabbit holes of thinking it's all hopeless and you can become very nihilistic, right? But I'm glad I was saved from that by uh, finding some of the great mentors I've had and the experiences I've had. And for me, those are the pillars. I think those are the most important questions. It's about who are who am I as a being, as an individual soul, as a, as a mind? Uh, why am I here? Do I have a purpose? And if I don't know what that purpose is, can, maybe that is my purpose is to find out what that is. Right. And, um, and then, you know, it just, it goes from there. And then you start, once you're kind of in there and I did so much of that, and I still do that. This is my main sort of foundation, those foundational questions. But as you get there, you, you kind of start to get some of the answers that feel right for you and resonate for you. And then you want to start to get a grip on the reality you live in and the world you live in. And that's where I'm at now where I'm like, okay, I've kind of nailed from to my satisfaction what I think I am and what my purpose is. Um, I've defined that for myself and it changes over time, of course, as we grow. But now I want to know what's going on in the domain that I'm practicing this now, which is this world, what's happening here. And why is there forces at work trying to prevent me from going on that process organically? Why is there all this new censorship on free speech, which to me is a censorship on free thinking, right? Because in order to think, you have to be able to speak. In order to speak, you have to be able to think. So who's out there trying to be the referee for all of humanity's thoughts? Why? You know, and then what's why have we seen so many well-intentioned people? This was another big question that got me down this sort of like cult secret society and world conspiracy rabbit hole was why is there so many examples of well-intentioned people flocking around central charismatic figures and leaders? What what's with them going, you know, you think, oh, these are all good people, but they end up committing brutally act, brutal acts of evil, whether it's towards themselves or whether it's towards other people through their ignorance, through their seeking of these bigger questions of life. Because the reason I think is people are, they, they get attracted to these different cults, whether they're some of these freaky cults we can talk about or, or whether they're like political cults or whether they're just cults of ideas. What are we all searching for? And what is it about humans that we can be so blinded that in that search, we can put all of our trust in these leaders and these ideas to the point where we're really willing to turn a blind eye to mass genocide or, uh, you know, some of the evils that we've seen throughout history or, you know, in cases like people like Jim Jones or Walter Applewhite with these little cults going on where they're able to commit mass human 
suicide or mass ritual suicide together, or even some of these other cults like the Order of the Solar Temple, where they're taking on ritual assassination. You know, you think of the 44, 44 caliber killer and Robert de Grimston and Zodiac killers, and you find out they're part of these secret satanic networks and things like that. You go, what's going on with that? And then you keep opening up different avenues and you go, you know, what's the government been doing? What Look at all these political cults of Mao Zedong and Stalin and Hitler and all these guys and how they got millions of people to follow them right to their graves, you know? And so these became big questions. They became very important. And then obviously in modern times, we look around at the world, we look at what went down during these lockdowns and what they're still trying to do. And we see the rise of this tyranny again and the rise of this sort of cult-like um, dynamic that involves both the cult leader and the cult followers, you know, cause I was always like, what's the, co-? it's nice to do a psychological profile of a cult leader and why they'd be motivated to have all these people follow them. But my thing was always like, what's with all the followers? Why are they always signing up for it? Uh, it's a relationship, isn't it? We can't just point at these tyrants and these cult leaders. We have to ask what's our motivation behind mm-hmm. it. So that's kind of my trajectory of how I got to these questions. Nice. I like that little outline. So I feel like uh, that leads us into more or less pretty well. <laughs> I'm going to segue into it anyway. The occult history of of royalty and, you know, what's going on there as far as your research is concerned? What's been really interesting to you? Uh, who is involved in these networks of manipulation and control? Um, you know, public faces, not so well-known people. Um, maybe what's your jumping off point for, for this? Well, yeah, that's a big one. Um, when I think Royal families, like we can think of Royal families, you know, you got the British Royal family, you know, originally they're coming from a German lineage, right? Um, even though they're in the British throne, then you've got the Dutch Royal family. You've got, um, some of these main sort of Royal families that we all look at in this community. Now, the research that I'm doing is that we're linking this back to something called the black nobility, which the reason they called the black nobility in their day, that was a name given to them, not because they were black people. It was because of the blackness, the darkness of their deeds that they were named that. And these were basically your royal aristocracy, uh, the corrupted form of it, because there was also many what you would call benign monarchs or despots, the, the leaders that, you know, they were they had the best interests of their people in mind and they actually helped create, you know, the Magna Cartas and and some of the freedoms that we know today. Um, And so there were good uh, leaders that we've had throughout history. And that's aside from any argument from libertarian to say, Oh, I don't want any rulers or anything like that. You know, humanity's going through a, a curve of growth and along the way we've had good leaders and bad leaders. And my question was what made those particular Royals, in, in different, and you can go into the East, you can go into the Middle East, you can go all over the world and look at this, where why do we see just a constant pattern of corruption? And, you know, this almost like when I think of the Royals, and again, we're talking about, you know, the dark side of this, the viewpoint that you start to get from studying the way they acted in history, the way they still act today, the rituals, the symbolism, the, 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 even the, just the story of that, their own sort of private religions that they're hinting at, you know, they, they pretend to come from a Catholic background or a Protestant background or whatever, but you really start to see that they sort of have their own little game going on and they view themselves as separate from the rest of humanity. And they act like that, they, not just separate, but also superior. So what's with this belief? And this belief isn't just held by these corrupted leaders and royals. This is held by the people that serve them and get on their knees in front of them, that these are superior. They are our betters. They are our superiors. So something that the bigger question for me isn't just the specifics of, you know, getting into some of these royal families and their obsession with the world of the occult. They're uh, the fact that they're a part of many of these Masonic orders. Many of them founded their own Masonic orders throughout history and very they've been in and out of these secret societies or they're going to these hellfire clubs or some of these satanic networks, there's there's those connections, which are very interesting. But my thing was always, what is it in humans that innately wants to be ruled? Why do, because we can't just solve the riddle of freedom and you know why they're taking it away from us without solving the riddle of why we allow it to happen. And, and maybe there's a part of us that want it to happen because maybe there's something about freedom itself 
that truly terrifies us at a, at a deep level. And then that becomes a, a deep investigation into psychology and all of that. So I guess I go, all right, these royals, and I would put royals up there with any political leaders or, you know, look at these roundtable groups today, like the UN or these world councils, world banks, you know, I kind of, they're all sort of in the same area for me where they're acting as if they get to set the rules of this treehouse called earth and we have to go along with it. And um, it yet as much as people might sit back and resist it and go, yeah, but I don't want to be ruled by any of these old monarchs. I don't want to be under that rule, but yet we still vote in their analog. We still vote in their servants and we still fall for the, the sort of um, carrot on the stick that's presented to us to get us back into that modality of, yes, I'm just a lowly human. I'm not smart enough to figure out all the problems. So you tell me how to live. You give me the prescription for life. And uh, as long as I'm taken care of and I can have my pizza and beer on the weekends, I'm not going to be doing any resisting. Take Do whatever you want with the rest of the world. Like This kind of mentality you start to see. So I guess for me, the curiosity is more, why do we elevate these people to the status of almost being like godlike beings that whether it's religious leaders like the pope or any of these people why do we glorify them to a point to say that they are our betters we're, we're enforcing that and i think that's why we get in that's the interesting subject is the uh, the power that's been achieved historically and presently by whether we're talking royal families or secret societies or just political movements in general they didn't just steal it they didn't just walk in, kick the door down and take it over. They gained our consent. Yes, it was manufactured. Yes, it was manipulated. I get it. But they gained our consent along the way. And so that just opened me up to a whole other way of thinking about this sort of master-slave dynamic that we see happening. And, you know, is is it is it not just the fact that we have people trying to hold power over us, but that we actually voluntarily give it to them? And then the question would be, why is that? And of course, that's just one of those questions that I'm not saying I got the answer, but when you think about it, you know, it, it gets you going down this track to try to discover what the answer is. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if someone says to you, you know, master-slave relationship or, you know, Stockholm syndrome or something, what comes to mind for you? Oh my God, master-slave relationship. Well, first of all, it happens in your own individual life. So it could be with a spouse, could be with a uh, someone at your work, could be with your children. Uh, look at the way that so many parents treat their children today. They treat them as lower life forms that don't know what they're doing. And yeah, you're supposed to be a guide and you want to be a teacher and those children are developing and they do need help. But there's a way to do that that doesn't mean acting in a dictatorial manner that our government is acting towards us, right? So it starts on the individual level and then it starts to move into your community and then into your country and then out to the world. And you think, okay, well, Maybe there's something in us that's terrified, not necessarily of death. Everybody thinks that's the biggest fear. Maybe we have a fear of life, a fear of life on our own where we can set our own course and take on the risk and the responsibility that that entails, right? So there's the fear of responsibility for your own actions that motivates people to want to give their responsibility to that cult leader, that political tyrant, or that royal figure, or whoever, right? And so this is the game that when you really get into this for a while, you start to see it's not just about us versus them, or the low guy versus the elite guy, or you know that it's it's more to do. It's you against you, and how are how am I? I can only ask this from my how how am I giving my power away to allow for tyranny to continue in my country? or in that relationship, or to, to see it in this world. And, and we start with that, you start with you, and then you can expand out to everybody else and, and ask the bigger questions. Why does humanity in general, if we free ourselves from one tyranny, why do we jump back in and vote in another one the next day, right away? Like, why can't we just shake the chains of slavery? Why do we keep signing up for it again, and again, and again, as if we're on some kind of program? And so, yeah, that's, that's where I sit with it. It's it's one of those questions that uh, it's tough to answer, but I, I definitely think we can get close to it. I feel like the responsibility thing's huge because it's so much more easy if you're not the one making the decisions and having to then exercise discernment 
you know, it's like if you were to say, okay, like, what do you want for dinner tonight, right? And 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 I'm like, well, I have a choice. I can like, you know, say I want to do this, and I want to go and buy the food, and then I've got to go and look at like ingredients listed in the in the things, and I got to understand what this means. I got to research: is this poison? Is this healthy? Is this okay? Or or I could just be like, look, you decide for me. <laughs> I'll eat whatever shit you serve up. I don't care. It's so much easier if I'm not responsible for my choices. You just, you do it for me. Like I, I, I see that as a huge part of the dynamic, just laziness. And it's so much easier in, a, in such a complex world now. You know, everyone's got a trillion different distractions going on. And it's like, ah, oh, just, just you do it. You sort it out. You know, COVID. Okay. Yeah. I'll stay, I'll stay home for a couple of weeks or right, whatever. I don't care. Don't, I don't want to look at the science. I don't care about where the viruses exist. Just, just whatever. I'll do whatever you say. I'm sure you have my best interests at heart. <laughs> and that, yeah, that's a good example. And that last sentence you said is, is where people, this is where I say it. it's, it's like our naivety has been weaponized and our virtue has been weaponized against us because you want to do the right thing. You know, look at everybody with the lockdowns. They wanted to save the poor minority immunocompromised groups and the and the grandma and everything else. So that comes from a virtue. You know, we want to do what we can to protect those that need us and and that can't survive on their own. But this argument has been extrapolated to such a degree today that they're basically wanting you to feel like you are also in some other target minority group and therefore you're a victim and therefore you need some strong person to come in and do all the hard work for you. When what if the whole time the solutions to all that have been right in front of us, if only we wouldn't weren't a, in that lazy thinking or that uh, knee jerk reaction to just give all the power and responsibility away to others. Right. Um, and I'm not saying we're ever going to fix this in general with the whole human race, but you can fix it in your own life. I mean, you're proof of that, Brendan. I'm proof of that. There's so many people out there that are trying to take more responsibility into their lives. And it's funny when you do it, it can be frightening because you're actually going against the grain. When you do that, vast majority of people just go along to get along. They don't challenge any status quos. They don't think for themselves. Thinking requires effort in itself. You have a ability to either brighten your mind and your consciousness or to dim it and turn it off and just let all the other voices take over and guide your life for you. And so there are a lot of people that are content we call them the happy discontents, right? They're they're content on the surface, um, but deep down they're incredibly depressed. And the reason they're depressed and sad inside, and then they do all these overcompensatory things to hide that, is because they're not living organically. They're not living as a human being, which is you are. You have the the reason, the rationality, the intuition. You have all the tools to navigate your reality to determine the facts of reality for yourself to, you know, and yeah, you're going to need teachers and you need guides, but you have the ability to take that responsibility for yourself just to turn your mind on, to learn something new, to gain a new skill to, if you don't know what you want for dinner and you don't know how to cook something, well, what's the way to do it? Let other people do it. And maybe who knows, maybe they're feeding you garbage. That's going to poison you. But if you take on the ability to go learn how to cook for yourself and learn how to find healthy ingredients and learn what it is to be healthy. You're going to find really quickly, you don't need these doctors as you don't need these handrails around you as much because you've taken health into your own hands. They don't want you to think like that because that busts their business model with big pharma who needs you to be sick exponentially and eternally so that you keep going to them for their pills, right? Like it's those who sell the panic, sell the pill. So, you know, it's, it's it, but the thing that people get stuck on, especially I think in our movement of people that are waking up, they're seeing all these things we're talking about. More people that I know are waking up than I've ever seen before to this. But it's the it's the initial phase where they start to see the evil and the tyranny and all the things we're talking about, the corruption, and then they don't understand the bigger lesson to it, and they think, well, let's just get other saviors to come in and fix it for us there. And as much as I'm like everybody else, hoping we've got some help from the inside. And I definitely believe we do. Um, the main operational mindset for you needs to be, well, I'm going to work within the power that I have to take control of my life and my decisions. And even though they want me to be eternally afraid, I believe they want you in a, an eternal state of emergency uh, psychologically, which is why we're getting hit with everything you can imagine right now. Um, if they can keep you in a state of emergency, then like George Carlin says, 
they got you by the balls, man. They got you by the, because they have a game in place for you that you don't know you actually consented to and signed up for even just on a psychological or spiritual level before you even got to the point of analyzing it. Right. So, um, in this understanding, when you look at some of the information that we're probably going to talk about here and that you can find in the work that I do, it, which can seem kind of dark, right? We're talking about some pretty nefarious things. You don't have to look at that information through the lens of fear anymore. And you don't have to look at that information through the lens of, oh, it's hopeless. We can never fix this. It's too in- entrenched. You won't be there anymore because you'll just realize seeing the lies for what they are seeing the stage hypnotist and the tricks that he's trying to use just as a metaphor will make you immune to the hypnotism will make you immune to that and it's the old quote i I put it in cult of the medics and it's one that's i I keep ready at all times it's by vernon howard where he said you know the human sickness is so severe that few bear to look at it Mm -hmm. but those who do will become well Hmm. and it's this uh this approach that we call on unslaved, the apophatic approach, it's the old Greek term for how you come upon knowledge and truth, which is through, uh, you don't just keep adding so much pieces in there that you can't even fit anything anymore. You deconstruct things. You take them down to their base parts and you eliminate all the false things. You eliminate the untrue through a process of investigation and analysis. And then you're only left with maybe a few options left and then you hone in and, and then you're going to find the truth. And so this process happens on an individual level and it happens on the collective level. And I think what we're seeing with all this craziness in the world is just sort of the world of effects of the main causes that are behind those effects that get down to the root of the human psyche, what it is to be human and these bigger questions that we opened up this chat with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Oh, so many things, so much richness in there. (laughs) Do you think just as a sort of slight side tangent sure. in the general sort of control structure, as you've you know done your study, have you found examples, maybe unexpected examples of certain parties or, or, or uh, networks or people, individuals um, who are doing, who are part of the orchestration, who might have what we could call good intentions? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a good question. Uh, this one I thought of about a lot. I'm like, okay, let's just let's just go with the argument that we have a sort of hidden hand at work in the world. Uh, maybe it takes on different faces. Maybe it's made up of competing factions. We can leave all that aside for a sec. Let's just say that right now we can see that there are political agendas being pushed. There's a direction that some people somewhere with a lot of power and money and influence want the world to go. Okay, you got your George Soros foundations, you got these mega billionaires, these huge corporations and these big governments that all seem to be aligned together around the entire world to bring the world into a particular direction, into a new uh, form of centralized control, right? And that there's different ways that they're trying to bring that about in different sectors and, and industries. And they're using threats, a variety of different threats as the excuse to move towards that goalpost of centralized control. Okay. If we just say the, the, the age old game is who can dominate and control all the land, all the wealth and all the resources. If we just say that's the prize, it's always been the prize. How would they go about doing that? And what if there's been alliances made over time? And what if there's actually people behind your politicians? Because we can't just say it's a bunch of these politicians who can't even walk up a flight of stairs today. Okay. Um, You know, you can't be these guys. There's no way they're that intelligent. But they do seem to be singing from the same song sheet. Like if I listen to the speeches made by Emmanuel Macron and I get them translated in English, and then I listen to Justin Twinkletoe's Trudeau's speeches, they sound identical. And then when I see them all hanging out and Justin Trudeau and Gavin Newsom are smacking high fives and, you know, Jill Biden's and you start to see these central characters. And these are all people that exist within what I call the public square. And so they're the people, you know, the faces, you know, and then you can go out of the political level a bit and go, okay, we know about some of these big banks and these rock, you know, black rock Vanguard, you know, finance companies. And we know about, you know, maybe the Club of Rome and the WEF and the UN, and we can get to that level. 
and the, and the Rockefellers and the, you know, the whole thing behind that. And then we can go even further than that into some of these more, you know, um, shady, shadowy elite secret societies like the Templars and the Knights Hospitallers and the Vatican and propaganda due and my God, we go forever on that. And you can keep expanding on that. Um, in that, you're going to start to see that whatever's behind it all works in a very compartmentalized fashion. And this is really important. So it's kind of like the old military thing. You're on a need-to-know basis and you don't need to know. You're a cog in a bigger wheel. You perform your function. You're trained for that one function. And you've got blinders on to all the other functions that everybody else is doing because it has to be compartmentalized. Or otherwise, if everybody involved in that particular strategy of war, for example, uh, knew the entire agenda, too many moving pieces could happen and someone could mess it up for everybody and the whole thing fails. So on a practical level, in a military setup, compartmentalization kind of makes sense. But what if this blueprint of how to run a successful campaign through compartmentalization was also picked up by a bunch of arch criminals who don't have the empathy that maybe you and I have, who have only a singular goal, which is more power, particularly the central control of all the power in the world. And we can get into maybe the motivations as to why, but that's kind of another issue. But they would find that that was a successful way to do it. You need to compartmentalize because trust me, if, if humanity had access to the fine print of all these agendas, they're being sold with smart cities and transhumanism and great resets and God, we can, you know, vaccines every five minutes. If they knew the fine print on that, I promise you right now, Brendan, and I'm sure you'll agree, not a single human being would go along with it. Not a single one. If you knew the picture, you would be like, get out of my face with that. I'm not doing that. So how do you get how do you get minions? How do you get people that will go into government and do your bidding for you? How, how do you get they got to get elected? They got to be, you know, how do you do that? How do you get people in CEO positions? How do you get people in you know, positions in the media, in Hollywood to influence the young? How do you get people in the school system? Well, it, it's something called the long march to the institutions. You take your time and you compartmentalize it. And so this gets to the heart of your question, which is a very important one. How many people are involved in this greater agenda that to me is very anti-human? It's very anti-natural, okay? It's a synthetic agenda. How do you get normal human beings, flesh and blood human beings, how do you get them to buy into your agenda without even maybe knowing all of it? Well, you get them in on manipulation. This is where you get into these experiments that have been done by like, you know, behaviorists like BF Skinner. I, I speak about this in the latest chapter about the Skinner box thing, his experiments that he did with mice and rats and uh, pigeons on how he could actually train them to respond to food or reward systems, right? And um, and then you get into other experiments like the Ash experiment, which is like social pressure, you know, how people form their beliefs and their opinions based on social pressure, but not facts and reality, right? Um, and then you get into the MK Ultra stuff and the CIA experiments and the all in and on we could go about how there's actually been a campaign of study going on by governments all over the world for decades, if not centuries, on how to manipulate what Edward Bernays called the public mind, how to manipulate the masses of humanity to believe they're doing something that is good and virtuous, but actually facilitates an agenda that's against their interest. How do you do that? How do you get even one person to operate outside of their natural will and actually replace their natural will and their natural thinking with your will and your thinking? How do you do that? How do you create mentoring candidates? This was a study that your government has done and they put millions into it. And this was, that was a long time ago. They've definitely upgraded that. And so this means that working within the greater agenda, there are a lot of very well-meaning people, right? At the World Health Organization, not everybody there is trying to set up a global tyranny, but there is an inner core of people that absolutely is. They're practically writing it down and just telling you to your face now, right? But what are the people, and I get even to the secret societies, you know, not every Freemason is evil. Not every Templar, Knight of Malta is evil. Not even every Satanist is, is really that threatening. They're just trying to find the cult that works for them, you know? <laughs> um, but they, they believe themselves. This is the difference. There's reality. And then there's the belief in what reality is and that the belief can be manipulated, right? 
only it was what Frank Herbert said. He made the Dune series. He said, um, only not belief can be manipulated, but knowledge is dangerous. And knowledge is dangerous to lie to the lie. That's what he's talking about. But belief, I mean, man, you got so much wiggle room in there. You can create a Jacinda Arden, no problem. You can create through belief. Do you think she sits down with the big high table and is like, ha, 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 we're close to our world empire? She doesn't have the brain capacity for that, but she believes she's doing what's right. That's why they get them into this whole communistic, socialistic mindset where we're, we're going to stop all the bad guys. We're going to get rid of all the terrorists. We're going to end all the illnesses and the pandemics. We're going to stop the weather from being so uh, you know chaotic and unpredictable. We're going to end uh, you know, slavery and poverty. And, and they, their favorite word is we're going to, we're going to end inequality. This is their favorite little carrot on a stick. And so those things sound good. You know, when Mao Zedong gets up on the mic and he's got millions of Chinese waving the red Mao Zedong book and going, yes, 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 yes. Moments before in history, they're all about to be completely wiped out and exterminated. Um, the reason that they all bought in is not because they're all in on it in the sense that they know what's happening. They are following emotional cues that were planted in their minds and they, their, their virtue was weaponized against them. Their humanity was weaponized against them. So this is how I see it. I see it as you have your arch psychopaths that are, have, they have zero empathy for humanity. In fact, I believe they hate the human race. They don't, whether they're, we can argue whether they're human or shapeshifters, I don't care. Let's just go with the fact, okay, these are a bunch of humans that, um, you know, they have sort of rejected nature, reality, and what it is to be human. And they want to supersede that and they want to create something in their image. So they're psychopathic. And by that, they've divorced themselves from the rest of human civilization and created their own little breakaway civilization that to them is better than everybody else. And I guess they have an argument in one sense because they have accrued. All the knowledge, the wealth, influence, the power, they have been able to stay committed to their vision, whereas most people can barely commit to a workout routine, right? And so, you know, you get your hat off to them for that as an enemy. You go, okay, well, you guys really got your shit together. But, um, you know, what they're doing is profoundly evil because these people have first committed acts of evil towards themselves, which is what destroyed their humanity. And then now that's what makes them capable of committing great evil in the world to their fellow humanity. And it's that belief that they are superior that is what enables it. And then, of course, there's the argument that maybe at the top, we're really not dealing with something human, but that would be a, another topic for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, you know, you've got to factor in things like the intergenerational Satanism and the the trauma that goes into that, the programming, the ritual programming goes into so these people are so messed up by the time they're adults by the time they enter into you know the public spotlight they're long they're long gone as far as the ability to function in a like a sane healthy way um so i think a lot of them are just so so messed up and so compromised but they're also operating in a system that not only has trained them to be ruthlessly um vicious and and unempathetic but they're also you know they've got people have got information on them that they'll reveal to the public if they don't, you know, toe the line. They've got compromising video footage of them doing something they shouldn't be doing that they'll release to the public. And, you know, so therefore I think that helps to, you know, sustain their long-term commitment <laughs> because yeah. they're probably a lot of them are, are shit scared for decades on end of being found out. Yeah, that's a good way to think of it. And the way I look at that is I think if we're to ask, you know, the people involved in whatever this agenda is, which of them are in the know, uh, you know, at a high level of, of what the real agenda is, and then which of them are simply blackmailed, as you said, which is the currency of the criminal underworld. So it makes sense that it would be the same currency in the criminal overworld, right? Um, and then you also have the people that are just easy to pay off. They, they don't care. They, they like zero fucks given, man. They're just like, yeah, I'll take the money. I don't care what you're doing. I don't know. I'm not going to ask any questions. Do you want me to exterminate a few hundred people? I don't care. I'll do that. Or I'll, I'll sign this new bill into law. That's going to totally destroy your constitution. Yeah. I'll take some money for that. There's those people. So I think they've got a variety. They would have had to uh, work with this blueprint in order to achieve where they've gotten to, because what they're doing, let's just make it clear is illegal on the basic legal, even just forget about getting into the legal system and that rat's nest and how it's been manipulated and taken over. Um, it goes against 
so much of what we see happening goes against the laws of your nation, of your country, right? The, the stuff your government is doing is highly illegal. The but they they have their little way of justifying it or rewriting the laws so that the average person thinks no no it's not they're not breaking any laws what are you talking about you know if they want to force you to get some new jab that Pfizer invented just yesterday uh, they they can totally do that and we're like no it says here 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 and here that they can't they're like no no that's just that's just outdated far right wing conspiracy theory they're like no it's your charter of rights it's your constitution and we also got international laws that are supposed to protect your bodily autonomy and all that and they're like no no that's just old bogey stuff we need new laws that are about equality like that's what the, this is where we're at man so what they're doing is they're they're selling a very gullible people uh lies to make them believe that the things they're doing are actually totally justified, they're legal, they're on the up and up, and that they have your best interest in mind. And yeah, we gotta, you know, break a few omelet or break a few eggs to make an omelet. So yeah, there's gonna be a little collateral damage, but it's for the greater good. And as long as it's for the greater good, Brendan, we better do it, right? Should, so if I just say everything I want to do in the world, if I want to take over like the top 100 profiting companies in the world, uh, and I don't want to do it by way of merit. I just want to take them over. Um, all I got to do is just convince a bunch of legislators to uh, bail me out and keep me ahead of the game and and then put me at an advantage where I can just eventually take over. Um, I don't have to do it legitimately. This is the level we're dealing with. But you have to provide the smoke screen that you're doing everything for some kind of greater good. So when the UN is coming in and saying, we want to regulate information on the internet, and that's what they just, Antonio Gutierrez just came out and said this, we want to regulate and get rid of all the hate on the internet. So the UN and our goody two shoes, purple uh, unicorn hearts are going to come in and save the world from hate by basically setting up a global technocracy where we get to dictate to your government who works for us because they're all in debt. Uh, they work for us. They are going to now follow our edicts like they did with the lockdowns. They followed the World Health Organization, which UN, same team. Um, they And your your laws and your nation don't mean anything anymore. If you have free speech laws, yeah, we don't, we don't follow that because he, that goes against stopping hate, right? So now your average state, you know, your average person, normie person that doesn't do any research has no historical framework for these arguments would have been, which have been posed before in tyrannical regimes. They're going to look at that and go, don't you want to stop hate? And you're like, well, okay, that's a big sticky issue. I don't think you can stop hate. Um, and first of all, getting rid of free speech is not going to stop hate. All it's going to do is put these people into a place where they're pent up and repressed, and then it's going to be even worse. The other side of it would say, let's put them up in neon lights so we know who the who the real hateful, bigoted people are, which are probably the people working in your government, right, in your media, pretending to be good. And we put them up in the and then people know, oh, I'm going to stay away from that guy. Yeah, I'm going to go and follow someone like Brendan, you know, who's got some love in his heart. I'm going to follow that guy. I'm going to follow this guy. But the government's there to tell you we're fighting hate so that you can say, well, yeah, I don't like all this hate. Um, I'm going to give my right to free speech away to I'm going to sacrifice it for the greater good of stopping hate. And we could take every argument. Oh, the new disease that's out, the latest, latest outbreak. So you follow us, World Health Organization and our doctors and our people. We're the only people on the planet that know what to do. So don't listen to the other doctors that disagree with us and listen to what we're saying and you will be saved from disease. Well, what does that sound like? It sounds like the arguments of religion for thousands of years, which have already been refined over and over again. We're going to save your soul in the afterlife and get you in with the big guy if you just put a few coins here, say these rites and rituals, show up and do all the things, never question, and just remain blindly obedient to our edicts, uh, then people go, oh, that sounds good. I'd rather be on the right side of that, so I'll follow you, right? So I'm giving you this basic formula that you can see in all kinds of different places where they can get you to consent to the tyranny that they're giving you. And the reason you're doing it is because you're afraid inside to actually live free and sovereign. And what's that old Yoda statement? You know, fear is the path to the dark side. And I think that's what happens. They get you afraid of a boogeyman or get you thinking you're serving a higher cause for a greater good. And then they can blind you with the light 
over and over again. They can make you drink Kool-Aid like Jim Jones. They can make you step off the edge of a cliff like some of these freaky cults in Finland or whatever. You can get you to line up for uh, you know, a, a sterility cancer-causing death job and do it for your kids. They can get you to sell out your nation. They can get you to do all kinds of things. Sell your business, give all your money to the government that you've worked hard to earn, give them your property. Like it's never going to be enough for these people. Every inch you give, they're going to take a mile. And yet people will keep doing it because they believe themselves to be virtuous. They believe they're doing something good for the world, but belief isn't good enough. Only the truth is good enough. And when they see the truth, I guarantee you, none of those people who are under that hypnosis would sign on for what they're signing on for. But it's got good camouflage. And they're not able to see past that camouflage, and that's the issue. But but don't you want to don't you want to own nothing and be happy, David? <laughs> I can't wait to own nothing. <laughs> I wouldn't want to own anything anymore. Even my body, my mind, my thoughts. I mean, my God, when Klaus Schwab first said that, the feeling of relief I felt, Brendan, that I no longer have to have a make a decision about anything. I don't have to feel the weight of responsibility that comes with owning something especially my personal responsibility. So, man, I was just flooded with relief when I heard that that's what the new world order was going to be based on. Zero ownership of everything, including my own body. That that sounds wonderful. Yeah, you can just <laughs> feel the, you know, the sovereignty just draining right out of your veins. <laughs> it's like uh, Trudeau. It's like, you know, it, it, it hits you. It, it hits you. You know, remember when he said that about the vaccine? Oh, my God. <laughs> that's how these people are. They're cultless. They're cultists, man. So unhinged. So unhinged. Um, so oh, maybe uh, maybe I'll turn it in the direction of, okay, so in this co- kind of broader context, how does, you know, the royal family or the, the royal families of interest, how do they connect into this? I mean, we started with the idea of the occult, the occult history of them. Um, yeah. We can, you know, maybe steer in that direction, but how does royalty in general sort of fit in? Well, you definitely had it when we talk about, um, you got two ideas here. You've got the actual bloodlines, like families that have preserved their bloodlines and their lineages for hundreds of years, some of them thousands of years. Some of these royals, like as in the case of the Queen of England, you know, who passed recently, or we were told, who knows, um, that she would track her lineage all the way back to the pharaohs of Egypt, you know, these kind of people, right? Um, And some of them have said that as well. We saw this very deep in the Nazi movements with the Thule Society and the whole talk about blood and genetics and lineage and how they're descended from the gods and and all of this. Uh, we saw this in, in all the political regimes. There was this idea of sort of like a, a genetic heritage that needed to be preserved, but it's only preserved like they kind of sell the public on the fact that, yeah, we're preserving your heritage and your your genetics. But really, that's not the case. They're using it for experimental purposes, and they're just preserving their own, right? So there's the preservation of actual bloodlines, and there's a whole, like, there's so many authors that have written on this, Holy Blood, Holy Grail, uh, the 13 Illuminati bloodline families, whatever. You can get into that kind of research. It's very interesting. And it's interesting to track it and actually do the lineage and see, yeah, some of these royals that come from different royal houses, they're not... A thing of the past. They're not just some medieval pageantry that we still pretend exists just for, for show. These people sit in parliament. These people sit at the UN. Like, for example, one of the groups I look at, which I would consider a royal bloodline group, um, would be like the Knights of Malta or the Order of Malta, which were previously the Knights Hospitallers and had you know, their connection to the Templars, right? Which are one of the most powerful orders in, in history. And, um, you know, so you've got those lines and then you also have, so you got the genetic descendants and there's a case to be made that maybe that's why we see such a connectivity, no matter who, you know, the next King's son or Queen's daughter gets in and the same agenda keeps rolling on. Then you have this thing about ideology, the ideological descendants of, of basically ideas. And I get into this really strongly in a premium I do on Truth Warrior. So my Truth Warrior premium is a couple bucks a month. And I do these special presentations on things and deep dives. And one of them I do on this book called The Occult Conspiracy by an author named Michael Howard. And this is a this is an academic uh, Masonic source. So this is a guy coming from the inside who's looking at the, the world conspiracy to formulate world government and all this as something that was first fomented behind the doors of secret societies. And he starts um, in the French, actually goes back into history of the Templars and all these groups 
Uh, and then he gets into the French Revolution and then the American Revolution and then up to the modern day. And it's a really interesting thread because you find out that there were ideas that were cooked up within these secret societies. And those ideas were what birthed communism, socialism, fascism. So all those political isms that people are familiar with and are all arguing about, you know, what's the new world order going to be? It's going to be fascist. No, it's going to be communist. No, it's going to be this and that. Um, all that stuff is again for the public square. These were occult movements before, and occult meaning hidden secret society, underground movements well before they were even named in the public. Right. So we think of something like communism. You think, oh, Karl Marx and all that. These guys are uh, commissioned writers, commissioned public faces to present the doctrines. These are all the communist manifesto manifesto is an occult doctrine. That's what it is. And it was it was it's far older than just the Bolshevik revolution. Right. It's it goes well back before the Jacobins in France and these secret orders. So. You have the ideology that was cooked up behind the lodge doors. And then guess who's getting recruited into these high-level Masonic and secret order lodges? And there are many. There are many people don't even know the names of. There's so many of them. Um, like the Black Perceptory in Ireland, like the crazy ones, right? Or Skull and Bones at Yale. They, they groom these politicians and they put them in power. Like, is it any coincidence that in America, you were going either John Kerry or George Bush or Bill Clinton versus George Bush. So that's left-right politics, right? Bill Clinton's a Democrat. George Bush is a Republican. Guess what? Graduated from the same place, hang out with the same people, probably all on the Epstein client list, and they all graduated from Skull and Bones at Yale, right? And there's many examples we can go into where you see the divisions on the surface of the political or even religious groups. You see Catholics getting Knight or not knighted, but uh, brought into Islamic Eastern groups. You see Eastern uh, guys getting knighted under by King of England, the King of England, right? Just like we saw, you know, even in the, uh, you see that happen with corporate interests, like the CEO of Moderna was just knighted by King Charles. What wow. does that say, right? You, oh, I thought it was just division between church and state and state and monarchy and corporation. And I thought there was all these divisions and protections. Yet you find out, okay, what's big musicians like Bono and, and those guys getting knighted by the Queen of England? What's that about? It's just, it's just for honors. It's just for services rendered. Yeah, but George Bush Sr. was also knighted by the Queen of England. What's an American president? America's history being that they separated from King George and the British crown and formed a country mm. why is they what's he getting knighted by the queen of england for mm. did they just make peace and they're just doing it for for coming together or is there something more occult going on is this a public dis demonstration of an occult graduation ceremony that's actually happening behind the scenes but because these are the public puppets they do these little things to show you and show them you know where they are in the pecking order so you got george bush senior what was he famous for well, the start of the entire debacle of the Middle East and the introduction of the New World Order in his famous speech in America and the thousand points of light. And he's bringing all this religious language into his political speeches. And, and Brendan, on and on I could go with the ideology side of it. And then there's arguments to say, yeah, well, the Bushes are connected to some of these high-level Nazi SS families, as is like in Canada, Christia Freeland, her great-grandfather was an actual SS Nazi, one of the top guys. Um, and, you know, they recently brought one of these dudes in to clap for them in parliament in Canada, which was totally embarrassing. And you start to see that you see the same kind of ideology, regardless of all that, whether it's bloodline, whether they're part of the group or not, you see them reading the teleprompter and reading the same script that's been read in China. It's been read in Iran. It's been read in Africa under Idi Amin. It's been read by Pol Pot in Cambodia. It's the same script of this, we're coming together as one. We're fighting off the overlords. We're doing all the, we're the revolution now. And we're going to create, uh, you know, oneness for everybody and equal opportunity. And all we got to do is just give all the control to the government, you know, and they'll take care of it. And it's the same refrain. What are they telling you with climate change? You know, just give all the control to the unelected bureaucratic nightmare that is the United Nations and let them manage and micromanage your life. Um, so I see that you've got, in that royal lineage, you have 
the the actual top alphas like i'm talking like if, if you use john wick language you know that movie they talk about the criminal underworld and they have something called the high table which sort of pervades over all the little lower gangs that are all going to tear each other to bits unless they're held together by the high table well i see that as the way the world is there's the high table these are in my opinion bloodline genetic descendants of some of the original cults that come from the ancient world these are bloodline related to the original Setians from Egypt and the whole thing, the real Satanists, okay? Not your little local gangs. And then down that compartmentalized structure, you'll have the ideal ideological descendants that are just recruited in. They're mostly brought in through the human trafficking world where you have that whole thing of um, missing children. And there's even, it's pretty dark, but there's even families they've discovered in America Ted Gunderson and many other people blew the whistle on this that actually breed children for the purpose of selling them. Mm-hmm. And they breed them not just to sell them, but also to um, basically pass them on to other members of this inner cult that work in Hollywood, that work in the music industry. This is why you watched a lot of these celebrities grow up in your in front of your eyes. It's not because they just went to, uh, you know, America's Got Talent and then got discovered by Simon Cowell and now they're Britney Spears. These kids were born, bred, and raised to be in the positions that they are. They were run through probably these CIA MK Ultra programs to create those connections for them. And they're control puppets. And that's what they are. They're circus animals. They did it in Rome. They did it in Greece. You know, it's so old, it's new. So there's that element of it where you have, imagine you have people creating children or kidnapping orphans from orphanages, which has been known amongst royal family circles, been rumored for decades, if not Mm -hmm. centuries. And they take these children, or there's also the human trafficking trade that they just go and take their pick. Think of that movie Taken with Liam Neeson in the ending scene when he finally finds his daughter. She got kidnapped. He's in this room where these very elite people are sitting behind these little shady booths and they're all voting on which kid they're going to take with them, right? Think of that going on for the purpose, not just for some freaky deaky Friday night action, but for the purpose of raising and grooming future world leaders, future mm-hmm. celebrities, future CEOs of big 500 fortune 500 companies so that you can put your people in positions of power so that you can control the game. So it goes really deep. It goes really big. And I think it's a mix between the, the real genetic lineage royal elites the royal bloodline the red carpet you know what do you want to call it the descendants of the gods and then you've got the ideological recruits that have been groomed and uh, turned into these puppets on strings and i think that's the ultimate way that they keep these people under control and the people who are you know you talk about the genetic minds um you know we've got this ancient idea of you know the divine right to rule right which has been one of part of part and parcel of the whole human's constantly giving away their autonomy and their power um, and permissioning these these people to rule them. But um, h- how does that connect in? Um, oh, where was I going with that? Lost my Divine right thought. to rule. Like almost like they have a mandate from on high or something. Well, yeah, I mean, this is this is it. I was leading somewhere with that. But um, yes, look, I've lost my train of thought. That's awkward. Um, well, if I can go off your that. Mind? Yeah, yeah, I can go off that because <laughs> yeah, I know where you're going. It fits well because, yeah, the divine right of kings, right? Yeah. And, you know, maybe we can romantically think back to a time when that actually meant something more like the divine right of kings wasn't bestowed necessarily by the gods, although they would probably write it like that. It was really bestowed by the people to say, we're granting you this individual leader or family the ultimate responsibility, which is you're to watch our gates and protect our gates to make sure we've got. Uh, good food. We we need management. Humans need leadership. Let's be honest. We need leadership. And, and having leadership doesn't mean we that's necessarily dictatorial or culty or anything like that. It's just that maybe the divine right of kings started with a, a noble vision of just having them they they hold their first commitment to God or the gods or the all father or whatever to keep them in check. You know, so it's almost like they needed a higher power to to bless their mission of taking care of their flock. And if they did a good job of that, I got no gripes. But if divine right of kings, because it is meaning to these people that they are the gods or they are they are superior and better than the others, 
and that they can use their power for whatever they want. And, and in fact, that power could include even to the point of, you know, completely getting rid of your following so you can replace it with a better one. I don't know. Because I just think of the fact that they're using their power today to try to sell us on the fact that we need to go through mass depopulation in order to be able to survive as a species, right? And so the divine right of kings is now a warped, distorted version of what it used to be. And this dovetails into this other important element that I try to tell people about, which is that... This concludes part one of the show. You'll find part two and related materials in my members-only portal, The Truthiversity, the consciousness-raising university. This creation is the official home for all my multimedia research and entertainment content. Updated regularly, my members get access to absolutely everything I create, including full podcasts, videos, blogs, courses, audio files, live internal events, the whole enchilada. Grab yourself a free 24-hour pass at access.truthiversity.com.